Thank you for listening to the teaching podcast of Muncie First Church. If you would like to know more about us, go to MuncieFirstChurch.com. Or if you would like to support a ministry, go to the giving page, MuncieFirstChurch.com slash give. Well, let's jump into the teaching from this last week. Well, good good morning. Good to good to be back together. If you have your Bibles and want to follow along, I'm going to be looking in James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27, kind of continuing on what we talked about last week. And if you weren't here last week, just to catch you up a little bit, a little bit I taught that uh, I taught that trials and struggles come at us almost daily, and they always come in various forms. You can't predict what it's going to look like because trials and struggles are always coming at us, and they come in different ways. And some, some trials, they come as a result of your own making. You know, we go out and we do things that we shouldn't. We, we make mistakes. We fail. We, we take chances that we shouldn't have. And, and as a result of that, you know, we, we, get, uh, we get into these struggles and into these trials. And other trials, they come our way, and it's not our fault. Something we didn't do, something we did not uh, mess up, something that just happened. We get sick, or, or someone does something, or someone hits our car, or, or whatever. And we could go on and on about trials. There are trials and circumstances in our lives, and they threaten to undermine, and many times they threaten to overwhelm you. Ever been overwhelmed by some of the trials that you faced? Anybody here? I, I have. It's sometimes difficult. I don't know about you, but I think preaching these messages have really ticked Satan off. I think he's been mad about these things. It, it seems like his attacks have been so ferocious this week. They've just been coming at me one after another. It's waves. It's not just one, but it feels like waves of things that have just come at me this week, and the struggle has been so real. Now, I'm just going to be real honest with you. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to teach this, but I also want to teach it from my heart because, to be honest with you, this is what I'm living in right now. I, I'm, I'm trying to live out what I'm preaching. I, I preached that last week, and I gave you six things, and I, I tried to live those out this week, but I'll be honest with you, it hasn't been easy, and I, I felt myself wavering and starting to slide down into the feeling sorry for yourself place. Anybody here? And by the way, when I ask you those questions, I love it when you participate. Just, just a hint. Uh, have any of you ever felt like you were feeling sorry for yourself? Anybody here? All right. That's better. I like that. You know, starting to feel better already. Week's lifting. Um, but I got to be honest with you, I, I started to whine about it a little bit. And as I started to whine about it, I heard my father speak to me and he said, why don't you pray about it instead? That, that would be more pleasant. Anybody ever have a child whine at you and you tell them, talk to me, just talk to me and I'll talk to you. You know, right. And, and so that's kind of how God spoke to me today, this week. You know, I don't know if he ever talks to you that way, but I, I heard him say that, why don't you quit whining and start talking to me? And so I said, all right. And so we started to talk and he showed me that he wanted to use this trial that I'm in specifically to teach me some things. <clears throat> and the truth is, is that as I applied the truth from last week, God came and peace came big time. I just want to tell you that. It works. He is using the trials to teach me. And I asked these questions last week, if you weren't here, has God ever used your trial to specifically teach you something? Have you ever been in a trial where God said, I want to show you something. I want to teach you something. Have you ever had a life lesson to show, the, show to you, shown to you in the midst of the struggle? Has God ever used a situation you were allowed to go through to make you into a more holy and righteous person? Because that's, 
that's what he's doing. He's making me more like him. He's refining me. He's, he's changing me. And I think we think that holy and righteous, when we hear that, it's all mystical and all that sort of thing. But it's not. In reality, becoming holy or righteous is God just making us more usable in practical ways for the kingdom. You're not very usable for the kingdom when you're living an unholy life. And he's refining you. He's reshaping you. He's remolding you. He's turning you into someone that he can use for the sake of the kingdom. Has Papa ever taught you, your father ever taught you in the midst of a conflict with someone what it means to love your brother or your sister when you really didn't want to love them at all? How to forgive someone and turn the other cheek. You know, I've been in that one so many times. And to be honest with you, uh, I'm a fighter. I, I'm, I've always been a fighter most of my life, you know. I, I got in trouble at school quite a bit back in the day. That's when they didn't get expelled for fighting, you know. And, uh, you know, I used to walk to school uphill both ways, of course. And uh, on the way, uh, you know, I had four sisters. And so, you know, I got made fun of a lot and people started to try to pick on me. So I figured it out. I didn't care how big they were. If I, if I was willing to walk in the middle and swing at them and start fighting, you know, they, they backed off. And so I became a fighter. I got in trouble all the time for fighting. But God's teaching me to do something different, turn the other cheek. So I gave you six things we need to understand and engage in to allow life trials to benefit us. And, and I got to be honest, these are just so much easier said than done. Last week, preaching them was kind of fun. I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. Good sermon, Mark. You know, pat on the back from me. And then God said, okay, now let's live through them and see how it goes. And he gave me the test. It was tough. First was stop blaming God and accept you're part of the responsibility. It's real easy to start going, God, why are you doing this to me? Or, or blaming other people and saying, why are they acting like that? When God's saying, you know, take your part. What's your responsibility in this? The second one was run to Father, to Papa, and ask for help to understand and overcome the trial. And, and of course, I told you earlier that I started to whine, and he said, quit whining, pray, and, and come to him. But you know, it's so much easier to just whine about what's going on and complain. Don't shortcut the experience. You know, it, it's so easy for me to say, God, I just want out of this. And, and you know, I immediately went to, to, to uh, the ways of solving the issue. I, I could do this, I could do this, I could do this. I didn't pray about it, I just started trying to figure it out. Anybody else here, you know, you're starting in the middle of things and you're already trying to figure it all out and you're trying to shortcut the experience and God's saying, you know, that's not what I want you to do. I want you to just go through this and let me teach you. Let me show you what I've got for you. Stay on track. Uh, fourth one was this. Learn and know this, that Papa has joined with you in your present experiences in using your trial to perfect and refine you. He has joined you in this, and he is trying to refine you. He is going to make you into what he wants you to be. The fifth is this. Don't fake the experience. You know how many times I've come to church, and you know, you go, how you doing? Oh, I'm good, good. Had a great week. Yeah, yeah, it was good. And I'm going, liar, because it's not a great week. But this week I've come to you and told you, it's been a tough week. I'm not going to lie about it anymore. I'm not going to walk around here and have a long face, and I'm not going to walk around here and complain about it, but I'm not going to lie to you and tell you, hey, well, everything is fine, if it's not. It's just not. It's not what he asks us to do. He wants us to stay in the pain until he produces the joy. Right? The sixth one is this. I need to be incredibly thankful that God does not waste pain. He does not waste our pain. He lets us go through whatever circumstances and trials that we are in in our lives, and he does not waste the pain. 
He is using that pain to draw us and to pull us into what He wants for us to be. So this week I want to take a look at the rest of this, James chapter 1, verse 19 through 27. And to begin I want to remind you of something, and that is this, that James is Jesus' younger brother. Now, Jesus, or James doesn't particularly believe that Jesus is the Son of God or, or any of this prior to his death and resurrection. But following his death and resurrection, James is all on board. But I, I got to thinking about this. He's his younger brother. And all you second sons, anybody here a second son in your family? All you second sons out there, how would you like to have Jesus be your older brother? I mean, you can hear it now. His mom's coming up, James, you know, Jesus, he turns water into wine. What do you do? I mean, you know, it's tough being someone's younger sibling. And I can't imagine what it was like being James and being Jesus' younger brother. But he's writing here because he does believe. And he's writing to the persecuted and he's writing to the scattered church. And he's writing to them about the situations that they're finding their lives in. And he's writing and dealing with all the trials and all the persecution. And he's telling them how to accept it, live in it, and how to grow in the midst of it. So let's continue on, verses 19 through 27. And, and just like last week, I paraphrased it for you. I rewrote it, and I'm going to do it again Today it's the same. I'm trying to capture the meaning of it and write it in such a way that it, it meant something to me and hopefully it does to you. You can follow along in your Bibles. When you're going through trials and persecution, remember this. Be quiet. Listen to the situation. Hear all sides of the story. Put yourself into everyone else's shoes. Be very slow and careful with your words. Words, once spoken, are really hard to take back. Have a long fuse. A short fuse is most likely a sign of pride and it always leads to anger and discord. Being angry never makes you look like Papa. It never helps us become more holy. Anger tears us down and we become dirty, filthy, and mean-spirited. We really want to be free of that kind of behavior. We desire meekness because God has planted in you the word that is his power in you to save you. So become a person who acts on what they know to be right. Everyone hears the truth, but really very few allow the seed of the word to grow and become active in their situation. The truth is, is that hearing and knowing the word and not using it in your situation means the word has no power or meaning in you. The power of the word is in living it out. And when we don't do what we know to do, we are like a person who looks in a mirror and turns away and looks again and turns away and looks again and turns away. And he, and she, he or she can't remember what she saw and what she looks like. And when we don't put the Word to work in our situation, it's as if we don't know what power the Word carries. However, if you will become open to the Word and study it diligently until you understand it and let Papa teach you how to apply it to your life, you will find that even in the midst of severe persecution, Papa is going to be there to bless you. So if you say you are Papa's boy or Papa's girl and you go out and rant and rave about how tough your situation is and live like you doubt that Papa cares, you're living a lie concerning your relationship to Papa. True relationship with Papa means you can shut your mouth, lean into the loving, the one who hurt you. 
It means you can go find someone with a real problem, like a widow or an orphan, and love them with the same love that Papa has loved you. And you can stay focused on Papa and quit acting like the world does. So there are five things on this that I want to do today to, uh, on what to do to live in thanksgiving in our trials. Because we ought to be living in thanksgiving in the midst of everything we do, both the blessings and the trials. So the very first thing is this, keep quiet and listen. Keep quiet and listen. When things happen in my life, I often find myself making all kinds of comments on why the situation isn't fair. Anybody join me on that one? Well, that's not fair. I'll tell you what, I didn't do that. It's not my fault. I didn't cause that. Anybody here? I mean, that's just me. And I also find myself making statements about how unfairly I've been treated and how badly I'm being treated and how I deserve so very much more than what I'm getting. I tend not to want to listen either when someone talks to me. I tend to shut it off and say, you know, you just don't know what I'm going through. Amen? Yeah. But the truth is, is that when I start off talking about my trial, when I go all drama on Facebook, and you know who you are, when I really start to feel sorry for myself, it's at that point in the situation that I have given Satan a huge foothold to really begin to take the situation down the tubes. From there, the problem will escalate. I will promise you this. If I will whine about it and complain about it and begin to talk about it, the problem will escalate even if it's not all that big a deal. Secondly, in that, along with that is this, why we need to be quiet. Jesus shows us how to do it. He's always, always, always quietly listening to what everybody else is saying. He's listening. He's always coming up on situations, and when he comes up on these things, when the trials come at him, he's fully aware of what is going on because he's listening, he's listening, he's hearing, he's trying to understand. And as a result, Jesus heard and saw things that almost everyone else missed. When we come into our lives, most of us are sitting there and we're sitting there going, you know, I'm not listening, I don't know what's going on, and we just run into it, but I know how I feel, and we don't know anything about anyone else that's going on around us. But Jesus always knew. And he always was able, because of that, to meet people at their need. You know what? I have a feeling that most people who come in and create a problem in your life are probably having a struggle in their own life, and there's probably something they need you to do to love them and to care for them. When Jesus met the Samaritan woman at the well, he already knew what the problem was, and he was able to meet her need fully. When he met Zacchaeus in the tree, he knew Zacchaeus' situation already because he'd listened, and he was able to meet his need. Oftentimes, trials come at us as a result of someone feeling hurt or left out. They didn't get what they wanted. And James is telling us, stop complaining. Start, start listening to the things around you. Stop complaining. Listen to God first. Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. How long has it been since you were still and listened and heard what God had to say? See, because most of the time, I'm too busy complaining to hear what God's saying. Most of the time, I watch people on Facebook, they're complaining too loudly to hear what God is saying. Most of the time, in the church, I hear people's voices complaining, busy talking about how hard things, so busy talking about what so-and-so is doing, so busy that we rarely take the time to hear what God is really saying to us. 
And if we are complaining and talking about how about these things, how will we ever have the ability to hear what anyone say? It is really hard to listen and talk at the same time. How will we ever hear anything God is telling us? All we will ever hear is our own complaining voice. And as we complain and get louder, it becomes more and more difficult. And we get more and more disappointed and discouraged. So God is speaking to us this morning. Here's what he's saying to you, and I want you to hear it clearly. He's saying, stop and listen. Stop right now. Just listen. Hear my voice. You know what? I, I think that too often in the church we're meeting for conferences. We're getting together to share the latest ideas on how to do church management. We, we are uh, gathering together for whatever else that we do, and we do it, and we listen to sermons and all those other things, and we rarely, if ever, pause to just hear to wait, to be still, to know, to hear God's voice. What is it you want? This is your church, and we're telling you what we need to do instead of listening and saying, God, what do you want us to do? And so maybe it's just time for the church to learn to stop and listen to the voice, just to hear it quietly speak to us. I remember hearing the old-timers talk about that. But I think in this day and age we live in where information is round and rampant and it's so easy to get on the internet and look everything up. Everything that I say, you will, you will fact check before I leave here. I understand that. Uh, maybe it's time to shut off the phone and the computer and just stop and say, okay, God, you speak. You know more than Google. And we need to hear it. Maybe it's time to stop complaining. Maybe it's time to stop and ask our Father, what are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to teach me? The second thing is this that I've read, that when I read this and when I came up with here and it spoke to my heart was this, we need to learn the lesson of the long fuse. Got to learn the lesson of the long fuse. Anger is a reflection most often of our self-centeredness because I've made it all about me. And when we're angry, we say and do things we later regret. How many of you are aware of the situation that happened on Thursday Night Football? A man named, from Cleveland named Miles Garrett, great football player. He uh, was towards the end of the game, was very frustrated. Cleveland was winning, and uh, the quarterback from the Steelers was very frustrated, and they ended up together, and he grabbed his helmet in a moment of anger, ripped his helmet off of the Steeler player, and then hit him over the head with the helmet. Really hard, brutal, brutal. The, the video is just ugly, ugly thing. I, I saw him do it. I saw it on video later. And I also read and saw where he says he regrets doing that. I'll bet he does. We all regret what we do in moments of anger. Anybody here regret anything you've ever done in anger? Ever still paying for something you did in anger? You know, that you lost out on because of something you did in anger. Anger always leads to pride, and pride makes it really hard to apologize and go back even when you're wrong because you're angry and because you had a right. And by golly, nobody's going to tell me what to do. And we get our back in a hump. And pride and anger, they're just not the attributes of the Father. I understand how easy it is to get hurt and to be hurt and to get angry about what's going on. And it hurts so much at the moment that you think you're going to be unable to breathe sometimes. But our anger is a result of wanting our own way and saying, I'm going to get it no matter what it costs me. It's a result of being full of ourselves. And God has called us to lay down our life and to follow Him. He's saying to us, put yourself down. Let go of and 
follow me. Jesus had every human right to be angry in his life. You know, standing there before Pilate, he could have turned it on and said, look at what these crazy Jews have done. They're nuts, and you know it, Pilate. Come on. And we would have went, yeah. But he didn't do it. He made a conscious choice to love and forgive instead of retaliate. If we get angry in our trials, we will lose every time. We will never learn the lesson our Father has for us if we continue to live in our anger all the time. We'll bring on more and more repercussions in our life later on as well. Miles Garrett should have kept his cool the other night. He would have played out the rest of that game and the rest of the season this next season or this season and the next as it stands now he has been suspended from the nfl indefinitely at least for the rest of this season and possibly on into the next season or seasons ahead he would have been paid millions of dollars in his career he could have man retired soon and been rich for the rest of his life he is suspended without pay he no longer is making a dime in football It has ruined his reputation in the NFL and in the public's eyes because he got angry, because he had a short fuse, because he lost his cool. God's calling us to change that in our own lives because most of us can talk about it. It may not have been a helmet over somebody's head. It may not have been on national TV, but we've done things. We've said things we regret later on. We wish we wouldn't have said that. I wished I would have kept my cool. God is telling us right now, In the midst of trials, you've got to look to me and keep the fuse long. He has your back. I want you to know that right now, that you do not walk in these trials by yourself, that God has control of this, and he is going to take care of this. And he said, vengeance is mine, not yours, and I will take care of all those things. While it may look like they're going to get by with everything, just trust me. I've got this, and we're going to work this out even when it's not fair. The third thing is this. We need to allow the seed of the Word to grow up and take root in us. This is so important. I don't know if there's anything I've ever said that I think is more important than what I'm just getting ready to say right now, ever. When we go through trials, many of us have the tendency to use our words and talk about the situation. I'm guilty. I talk too much. I am a talker. I always have been. My mom said when I was young and I'd get upset, I would go off and she would hear me talking. She'd think I was talking to someone and she'd get out there and I was just walking back and forth, ranting and raving and talking. You know, so I'm a talker. I've done that all my life. Run to someone and complain. That's how we do it. As soon as something happens, oh man, Chad, you're not going to believe what they said to me, you know, and we're starting in. Because it justifies us. It makes us feel good about who we are. And it puts the other person down. And everybody is saying, oh man, you've been treated unfairly. And I'm going, exactly. Man, I'm glad you understand. And boy, does that ever feel good. James says that's not right. He's instructing us instead to run to the Word. To the Word of God. To the Bible. To this. He's instructing us to come to this. To go to the Bible. And he's instructing us to run to that and allow God to take us through the situation as per the Word of God. Boy, is that ever different. James says this, do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. What are you doing when you read the Bible? When you read the Word? 
I'm, I'm assuming a lot there, I know. Some of you probably don't read it at all, and some maybe just, uh, you know, you pick it up and read it on Facebook and when someone posts a meme, or, or maybe you read it, uh, you know, a little bit here and there. But, but I'm hoping a lot of you are taking time to really dig into the Word because that's really important for you to do that. Uh, you know, you're not going to get fed. If you're just getting fed on Sunday mornings, if this is it, you're going to starve to death. This is dessert. You know, you need to be eating meat all week long, okay? So what are you doing when you read the Word? When you're, ask, when you're reading and studying the Word, we're not just reading and studying it so we can say we've done it and God is pleased. Rather, we are reading and studying to get ready to live out or to participate in what I'm calling the test here, life. We're getting ready to live. This is how we know how to do the things that we are supposed to do and how we are supposed to live. We're reading and studying to get ready to build strength. We're reading and studying so that we can know what God will do and how he'll work in every situation. I want to know what God's going to do in this situation so I don't have to do it, so I can trust him, so I can say, okay, Lord, help me to get through this circumstance and this situation in every day trials that I face. And as I read and prayerfully study the Word of God, uh, it is being planted, hear me here, it's being planted inside of me to equip me for those tests ahead. It's being left in there. There's a, there's a seed that's being planted in me when I read the Word to prepare me for the things that I'm going to face throughout the rest of my life. Now, in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus told the parable of the sowers. Anybody familiar with that one? I think you probably are. Sowing into four soils. The soils represent us. And Jesus is saying some seed falls on rocky soil, and some on the path. And he said some falls in rich, fertile soil. And, 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 in the, and he said, for the words producing you, uh, you need to be ready. In other words, the, the, the soil, if it's rocky, it's going to drop in there and there's not going to be soil. The, the seed can't grow. Maybe a bird will come along and eat it. If it's a path, you know, it may not have a place for it to grow. If it's, if it's not deep, if it's too shallow, it may go down a little bit, but it won't have place for roots. You've got to have good soil. You've got to have good soil for the seed to grow in. You have to allow the seed, the word, to settle deep into your heart. You have to take time to get the soil in your heart ready. You've got to let God begin to work in you to break up that crusty old self that you are so that the seed can fall in and grow in good places. It has to take root and grow. To merely listen to the word, to hear what is being said in church, to read what it says when I open up the pages of my Bible and to look at them and to read them and to put it back down and not do it is to deceive yourself. It does you no good. It's not magic. There's no magic in opening up and reading it. There's only, it's only worth doing if, if it settles in and begins to take up root in my heart and begins to change me into who he wants me to be so that I can become holy like him. It has to be applied. I have to practice living it out so that when the day of testing comes, I'm ready for it. He gives me advice. This is Jesus speaking to me. This is God speaking to me. And I have to listen to it. You know, my dad told me a lot of things over the years. Anybody here have a dad that gave you advice? Anybody here have uh, ignore that advice really well like I did? Amen, you know? I look back on that now and I'm shaking my head thinking, man, what was I thinking? Why didn't I listen to him? I, little grandson's here right now. And he spent the weekend with him. His name's John. 
He's a, he's a great little kid. I love him so much, but he frustrates me to death. I'll tell you. I sit there, and he tells me, he goes, I want to learn. He goes, I'm gonna, I want to get a trumpet so I can play a trumpet. And I said, oh, that's great. Need more trumpet players in the world. I played Doc Severson for him last night. I said, man, there's a trumpet right there. I said, you know, get a trumpet, take some lessons. Oh, I don't want no lessons. I, I'll figure it out myself. I said, well, you know, trumpets, you know, there's no reason to do that. You know, we can we'll get you some lessons, you know. And I said, it's like somebody already has done it. We can teach. Well, I like to figure things out for myself. Just frustrated me to death. Because you know what? He's doing exactly what his crazy dad did. And what my crazy dad did. I'm glad I wasn't in that line. But you know, the reality is that's how we treat God. We, we let his words sit on our heart and then just bounce right off and we go off and we do what we think is best. When the day of testing comes, we want to be able to do what the word says, but we can't. And we're in the middle of a situation and it says, turn the other cheek. And we're going, but I can't do that. Because you haven't let the word sink in and hasn't set up root in your heart. Love and don't hate. Be silent, don't re- retaliate. You're saying, this doesn't work for me. And that's because you've never allowed the word to be sowed into your heart. You've never fertilized it and let it grow. You've never cultivated it. You've never put the words to practice in the little things so that you can be ready for the big things. We've got to start listening to the word and actually doing it. You can't just carry around a Bible. It's not osmosis. I, I've slept on one for years and it doesn't do a bit of good. You've got to read it. You've got to study it. You need to learn, number four, obedience so even if we know the word of god and understand it if we do not practice it it'll do no good it's a waste of your time like i said i don't know how many people i've counseled with in in uh, the almost 35 years that i've been pastor now who have been christians for many years and, and now they're in a tough situation they they claim to know and live by the word all their life but now they're questioning whether they should do what the word of god says for them to do the Bible says in Proverbs, there's a way that seems right to a man, but, the end, but in the end it leads to death. It says it twice, in fact, it's so important. It's in Proverbs 14, 12 and Proverbs 16, 25. But you know, when you get into the situation and the situation gets tough, if you're not careful, you're going to lean into your own understanding. You're going to start saying, well, maybe I better do this the way I think it should be done. I had a friend, I've told this story before, his daughter was 15 years old, she was pregnant, and his first thought was, and this is a Christian man, a man who said he lived by the word, who came to me and said, well, we're going to have to get an abortion. I said, what? You have to what? (laughs) You know. But see, he was leaning into his own understanding. He was going with the worldly advice. He hadn't really put his faith into action he hadn't grown into small things he needed help we were fortunate that never happened she had the baby but 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 that's where he was headed or or others i think who come to me and say well i'm in love with someone else i know i'm married and i know that that's probably not what the bible teaches but i know god wants me to be happy no you don't know the word that's all you just you're just not living right you're not listening to what God's trying to say to you. You're living by man's understanding. Or someone who comes to me and says, I know she isn't a Christian, but man, she's a good woman. And you know, God, under- no, he doesn't understand. That's called unequally yoked. The Bible strictly forbids that. It says don't. Because God knows that that won't work. And he's very careful to teach us that. 
See, but obedience is hard. See, obedience to the word requires we go against what oftentimes we want to do. Anybody ever had to do something you didn't want to do because God told you to? It means taking the high road when it seems so much easier to take the low road. She said something about my kids. He cheated on me. It's the difference between the man who trains for the marathon and runs it and the one who doesn't train and tries to run it but can't. Right now, we could all line up on the line for the marathon right now, 26 miles or whatever it is almost, or 26 point something I think it is, 25 point something, 26, 26.2. I knew somebody in here would know exactly. Thank you. Or you would look it up on Google for me. So thank you. I never Google anything. I just ask and somebody does it for me. It's a neat trick I've learned. But anyway, we could all line up on the line for the marathon. That would not be any effort in that at all. And we could all go, oh, maybe the first hundred yards. But there would be a large attrition rate following that in this room. I promise you, there's a few of you who maybe could finish the 15 miles. And maybe there's a handful of us that could go on and do the 26.2 miles. But most of us couldn't come close because we've never trained for it. When you get into the trials in life, knowing the, word will not, knowing the word will not help you unless you obey it, and unless you've obeyed it, and unless you're doing what God has told us is best, and you've determined that for your life. James says it's like looking in a mirror. And then looking in a mirror, and then looking in a mirror, because you can't remember what you're looking at, what you look like. Because you're not paying any attention. You haven't let it sink into your heart. You're looking and forgetting. We hear the word, but we never apply it to our lives. And we go on without knowledge of what God's best is. And when the tests come up, we take the way that seems right. And guess what? It leads to death every time. Death in relationships. Death in careers. Death in marriage. Folks, I got one thing I want to say to you right now. It is absolutely time to get serious about our discipleship. It is absolutely time. All of us, even if we have been in the Word for decades, and we have, many of us, we all need to begin to apply the whole Word of God. That's how we will overcome the trials that we face in this world that we live in. That's how God will bless us. I hear a lot of people complain God never blesses them. They'll, oh, you know, I, I, I don't know. I've, I've lived my life as a Christian all my life, and God never blesses me. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever read the Bible? Have you ever begun to be obedient to the teaching of the Word? Has the Word ever been sowed into you? Because if you're not, you won't be blessed. Blessings come when we begin to do what God calls us to do. He blesses. He blesses every time. Fifth thing is this. We need to allow our trials to help us see others in trial and help them. Why does God allow us to go through the trials and difficulties we do? I think it's for one reason. Oh, well, actually, for many reasons, but one main reason, this that I want to share with you. Last week I said part of it was to refine and make us more like Him, to make us holy. But I also believe we go through the trials we do so that we can reach out and offer a hand up to those who are in trials and tests around us. Anybody here ever had somebody reach out to you and help you out, pick you up when you're in the mess, say, let me help you up? See, they knew where they were going. They knew the way ahead. They'd been through the trial. God had given them a way, and now they were offering the hand. James said that the religion that God accepts as pure and faultless is this, to offer a hand to the widows and the orphans. 
I, I think that means this, that, that both of these groups were people who in James' day were without a voice and were lost in society. Society couldn't help them. They were so broken. Children, orphans, they were nothing. They were probably going to die. Widows, they didn't have anyone to care for them. They had two choices, prostitution, or if they were lucky, find someone who would marry them and let them cook for them and use them. That was about all widows had looking ahead. They were lost, and James is teaching us that when we see someone who is helpless and lost and stuck in the trial of life, we're to run to them, not walk to them, not talk about it, not say, let's call together a church group, let's see if there's somebody in the church that would think about helping out. It says, run to them and use the faith and the spiritual muscle you've built up to pull them up with you as well. Get involved, get underneath them and lift them up. It's not the church's job. It's not the United States government's job. It's our job, individually, getting underneath them and lifting them up. And you are not going to learn how to go through the trials we call life just so you can get on the other side and become comfortable. That is not what God is doing. He is not in the process of making you comfortable. God doesn't really care too much about your comfortable. He's got heaven for that. You can spend eternity in comfort and joy. But right now, he is calling you to do something. You're learning and growing so God can put you in a situation, put you in a place where you can take what you know, what you've practiced, and wrap it around someone who has nothing and help pull them up until they can learn and grow and become strong in the Lord. And every one of us is called to that. And we ought to be looking around to try to find that person. It may only be one, it may be two, it may be a dozen, but God's going to help you. And when you get that one up and when they're going, they're going to go help someone, then you're going to find someone else. And it's never ending. You can't say, well, I did that back when I was 25, but I, I don't do that anymore. I'm sitting here. No, 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 no. Go, go. That's what God's calling us to. So finally, I want to tell you this, and then I'm done. What I'm thankful for. I've been a follower of Jesus for 60 years almost. I became a Christian when I was a little kid. I'm 62, so it wasn't quite 60, but it was close. I was a child when I began to believe and follow him. But I have to be honest here today. While I learned a lot of things and studied a lot and had head knowledge of a lot of the truth and the wisdom of the word, I did not really put it into practice often in my life, especially in the areas of trials. I thought I had more wisdom than what God had in the word. The world is so different now than it was then, I reasoned. I said, you know, God, you know, I understand that you wrote that word, but you know, things weren't like that. They didn't have Google back then. And they didn't have Facebook, and they didn't have cars or whatever. It's easier if I just figure this out for myself. After all, and I've reasoned, don't you want me to use my human intellect? And I'm not against human intellect, but I also know that we need to take the word very seriously. My first DS, district superintendent, told me this. He said, Mark, here's the deal. If you will lead your church by following the structure and confines of the manual of the Church of the Nazarene, I will always have your back, period. No matter what, if something happens, I'll be right there. But he said to me this. He said, if you go out and do things on your own and set aside the wisdom of the church and decide that you know better and do whatever you want on your own, you are on your own, and I will not be there to help you. And I've always tried to heed that advice and think about that before I do anything. But when it came to the Word of God, I have to be honest, I always thought common sense was of more value. Turning the other cheek seemed sort of ridiculous in this day and age. If you turn the other cheek, they're going to punch you in the other side and it hurt already. Remaining silent when people need to know the truth. Because you know what? 
Why would I keep it silent? I can tell everybody what I think. Not getting angry. I mean, I have a right to anger. We can call it righteous indignation, except for it's not very righteous when I hit somebody over the head with a helmet. I have not done that, by the way. Not retaliating. Man, sometimes retaliation feels so good, doesn't it? Sweet. These and so many others seem like they were out of date and ridiculous, but James, Jesus' brother, is telling us that the Sermon on the Mount with its moral truth definitely needs to take root in our souls and we need to live it out every day in our life. This needs to become our manifesto, how we will live life, period. So I'm thankful today that my father never gave up on me even when I was hard-headed and difficult to teach. I'm thankful that he is still speaking to me and to you and to us and singing over us and loving us and pouring into us his truth if we'll listen. And I'm thankful that even at the age of 62 that God is still working on making me into his image, that he has not stopped molding me and making me. I am on the potter's wheel right now. He is in this moment shaping me into the vessel, into the thing that he wants me to be. The trials I am and have had to deal with are hard. To be honest with you, there are times when I, I just want to quit. I wanted to lay it down. This week, I told Todd Stone, one day I asked him, I said, Todd, I don't understand why anybody would ever take drugs. He said, it's because the pain gets so intense and you take drugs and it makes it go away. And I said, well, I don't understand that. This week, I was in the middle of some things that were so hard that it felt like it was going to crush me. My chest felt heavy. It felt like it was going to crush me. And I told Darcy, if I knew where there was some medication, I might consider it. That's how tough it got this week. But in the midst of them right now, I can tell you that I have found that he is real and true. And if I follow what he's teaching me, I find and experience joy because I know that the other side means growth and a chance to make a difference. So today I want to tell you I'm thankful for the lessons God has taken me through. I'm thankful for the ways that he is teaching me. I'm thankful for the way he is using these lessons. I'm thankful that God is still speaking and I'm thankful to be right where I am today, standing here. And while it isn't like I'm giddy with joy over any of these trials, I do consider it a joy to live in the suffering I've been allowed to for the sake of Jesus. So my questions to you today are simply this. Are you applying the word in your life day to day? I mean, applying your word, the word day to day, literally applying it, letting it sink into your heart. Are you living in the test? And how are you doing on those day-to-day tests? Have you run to the aid of another to encourage and lift him up recently? If you haven't, why not? You have answers. Can you consider the things you're facing right now a joy right this minute? I want us to stop right there. What I want to do today instead of music or anything is I'd like for have you guys come up and let's just pray together. I feel like we're probably all facing trials and struggles. And I know that it's kind of awkward maybe to come up, but you know what? You don't have to kneel. I just want us to come up and gather around and I want to pray together this morning. Amen. Thank you. Let's come on up and 
Some of you put your arms around Michelle. Just let her know. I, I know that she's not one that likes a lot of attention, but today she needs some attention. Just get your arms around her too. But let's just pray together. Let's just come on up. Let's gather in. Gather in. Amen. Amen. You know, we've all been through some stuff. And uh, we're all going to go through some stuff if we haven't already gone through it. And uh, it's not easy, but God is good. Amen? Amen. And he's meeting us here today. Amen. I just want to pray for all of you. No pressure on anything. Not trying to get anybody to do anything. Just want to pray together with you, with my church family. So, Holy Father, we come to you right now. Lord, we just thank you for the truth. The truth that your word is enough. But Lord, if we will just trust you, if we'll just really put our hands upon you, if we will just really lay our, our hands upon you, if we'll really get into the word, that your word will penetrate our hearts, that Lord, you will teach us and guide us and build us up into the people of God, that we can become what you want us to be, that we can make a difference in this world. The world around us is trying to tell us that there's nothing we can do, that uh, the days of Christian America are over, that the church is on its way out, that it's going to die. I kind of see it, Lord, like it's being rebuilt, being reestablished. It might look different, but Lord, it's going to be reestablished on your word. It's going to be reestablished on the truth. It's going to be reestablished on a firm foundation. Lord, I praise you for the trials that we face. I praise you for the difficult days. Lord, I praise you that we don't have to uh, have everything come out perfectly like we think it ought to, that we don't have to have everything work out like a Hallmark movie, that, Lord, in the midst of all the struggles, joy is our, is our friend, that you come in joy. Lord, I pray right now for each person, the struggles they're facing. I know some have told me about some of theirs, and, Lord, I, I just don't know how they'll make the. Sometimes it's overwhelming, but, Lord, be there for them. Be their strength. Be their hope. Be all they need today, Lord. Lord, be with me. Go through this with me, Lord. I, I admit where I'm at because, Lord, I need your help. And I don't want Satan to win in any way, shape, or form. And, Lord, as long as we're honest, as long as we're telling the truth, he has no place to take That's up right. residence. That's so right. today, Lord, help us to share the battles. Help us to find someone to get alongside of and to haul along with us and to pick up. Help us to find people to love. And God, just, just do a work. Do a work in people's lives here today. Lord, as we prepare our hearts to leave this place, my, my prayer is, God, that we not leave here um, saying, wow, good sermon or bad sermon or music was great or whatever, Lord, but we leave here saying, man, we met with Jesus. Yes. Yes. That we met with Jesus and that you reminded us that you are going to take care of us and that you're going to see us through and that we can trust in you. Lord, we just place our trust in you. We place our hope in you. We place, we place you on the throne and we just fall in front of you right now. We worship you. Thank you, Lord, for this testimony from Michelle. God, I pray your blessings on her. God, today, would you just touch her body? Would you touch her mind? Would you touch her soul? Would you just help her to know that, God, you're right there? And this is just a free, this is a moment of freedom. This is a moment where she has declared that you're in charge and she's going to follow you. And Lord, I pray for those who are sick and have uh, things that they're facing again, Lord. We always pray for the sick because you've commanded us to do that. So, Lord, we lift up those who are struggling. We think of... Uh, uh, Nikki, who's going through chemo and different ones, God, just touch them, touch them today. May they experience the depths of your love 
in, in just powerful ways today. May they be set free of these things. Lord, I pray for our church as we go through the transition that we're getting ready to go through. It's a trial for our church, but God, you will open the doors. You will provide. We believe that, and we're trusting you right now for you to just lead and guide and to provide as you see fit. And Lord, we'll give you the glory and the praise for that because, Lord, uh, it won't be something we figured out or something we did on our own, but something that you have provided. And Lord, we'll know that we're following you. So, Lord, just help us all right now in our hearts to bind together and to say we're going to go through this and we're going to let you lead us and we're ready to see what you have to do. And we love you and praise you and thank you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 You are dismissed. Lord bless.